41, the moon is full. You make love very well. You touch me like I touch myself. I like you, mademoiselle. There's nothing I would rather do. They move around just like this. But do I have to dance all night? Do I have to dance all night? Who tell me bird of paradise? Do I have to dance all night? Hello and welcome back to Lenny and Coco, the Leonard Cohen podcast. I'm your host, Ned. And I'm your host, Kinley. Uh, we're delighted to be with you again. We're talking about songs of love and hate, Leonard Cohen's third album. We're on side B now. And just before we get back into the songs, we're going to dive into one contemporary review, which is what we do at this stage of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're back in Rolling Stone. All One right. more time, at least. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll see. Maybe we'll get to other things, but they keep giving us the goods. Okay. Uh, we're back to our old friend, Arthur Schmidt, who wrote the Songs of Leonard Cohen review. Okay. What will, what will he have to say this time? Will well, he redeem himself? I don't know. He's once again, he's pretty brutal. Okay. Though he says he liked Songs from a Room, but a different reviewer reviewed that for Rolling Stone. Oh. Uh, so if he had reviewed it, I guess we would have got a positive review. Yeah. But he didn't and we didn't. However, he liked Songs from a Room because it didn't have all that extra orchestral shit. <laughs> and because it was short with short songs. Uh-huh. He says, quote, Leonard shouldn't be straining the frail but frequently quite lovely melodies to five or six minutes as he does on Songs of Love and Hate. And, you know, I was wondering when I should uh, drop this bomb here, but I agree completely. I also agree. Yeah. And and I, I was going to, I have a note on it, more so in relation to this side of the album. We'll get into it. Yeah, like we said, that was a good side A. Yeah. It didn't... Uh, overstay its welcome yeah but this is um th- this is just an album there are fewer songs but they're all longer they all range well most of them range from five minutes to six and a half minutes yeah so you got to be ready to hear some longer songs yeah of, indeed. you know the leonard cohen variety which you know are of a generally of a specific pace and tone <laughs> indeed he calls the famous cohen guitar style a mosquito hum though Oh. Which seems wrong to me. Well, is he? I, I mean, I guess you wouldn't mean that in a good way. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> yeah, disagree. And worst of all, he hates Diamond in the Mine. What does he have to Diamonds say about it? Diamonds in the Mine. What does he have to say about it? <laughs> he says it's ugly. He says to get through it, you have to focus on Bob Johnston's piano, which I don't hear a piano what? in it. To be fair, he might be thinking of the guitar, which in the verses has a bit of an electric piano sound. Oh, because... But also, it does like slides and things. And he, Yeah. I, there's a video from Isle of Wight where I can confirm that it's guitar making those sounds, but he didn't have that, of course. Right. Also, he ends the review by pointing out a couple of lines from Sing Another Song, Boys, that he likes, and commenting simply, that's nice. 
<laughs> so if you're ever feeling any imposter syndrome doing this podcast, uh, know that we are at least as eloquent. Yeah, exactly. As the writers of Rolling Stone magazine, most oh. famed rock music magazine in the whole world. Yeah. So Albert Schmidt walked so we could run. <laughs> <laughs> Arthur Schmidt. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever. Yeah, who cares? Um, so now we get so, into the sorry, songs. Sorry, if you're still alive. <laughs> Maybe we should get him on the cast one day. That's what I was saying in the first episode. So now we go into side B, which, uh, yeah, we've already given the game away a little bit here. We're not quite as fond of this one as we were of the last one. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I was going to say on that point, this is an album that Leonard Cohen fans absolutely adore. What? This album. Oh, okay. Yeah, like this is like, this would be top of a lot of people's rankings, I think. Okay. So let's explain why they're wrong. (laughs) I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say, let's tread lightly. (laughs) Oh, no, no, not at all. No, that's not what we do here at Lenny and Coco. Yeah. We speak the truth. This is the millennial Leonard Cohen podcast. (laughs) We're, We're here to change the... What? The conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so opening side B is Love Calls You By Your Name. And the first note that I have isn't specifically about this one, although it really is basically just about this song and the next song. And I think w- this note that I'm about to say has more to do with the fact that because we're doing the podcast, I'm pretty much, I've been exclusively listening to Leonard Cohen. We have uh, a week to give the albums a fair listen and to write our notes about them. So it's, it's really all I'm listening to now. And this was the first time that with the, what I put in quotations here, the pretty Leonard Cohen sound of the vote, the sort of solemn vocals, guitar and strings, like, I'm starting to feel a little exhausted by that. Mm. And um, I felt, I feel it more with this song because I don't, nothing really compels me about this one. We'll get into the next one. I have slightly different feelings about that, but this this is definitely one that I don't have a, a lot to say about. I think it's pretty, yeah, but it's just, and again, like with the, the comment about length, it's just, it goes on. It goes on so long. It's long and it's slow. Yeah. That's uh, this whole side of this <laughs> record. But sometimes it's okay. Yeah. Sometimes less so. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Once you realize what he's doing with the lyrics here, there's a part in every verse where he says, between the X and the Y, between the something and the something. And it's always something that doesn't have like a very obvious in-between yeah. poetic language. And it's the same rhyme almost every time. So once you figure out that's what's going on, wanting to hear what the next line is going to be does sustain some interest. Yeah. For like two to three listens of the song. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you're kind of, you're kind of over it again. Um, that said, yes. there are some really good thought provoking lines in there. Some of my favorites are mm-hmm. between the dancer and his cane between the windmill and the grain and between the darkness and the stage. Mm. Uh, and that one especially, um, is one of a few of them that suggest a space between two things that don't have a clear delineation of space between them. Like the darkness just fades into the stage. You can't say where. Yeah, that the was darkness also darkness ends and the stage begins. 
Um, and I think that is the place that love comes from. Ooh. So, and that is, nice. that is also the line that, that in particular stood out for me. So I'm glad we share that. Cause yeah, that's a good one. And I, I like that. Yeah. I like that view of it. I think that's great. Yeah, no, I think he's, uh, he's on the right track here poetically for sure. Uh huh. This is a interestingly abstract discussion of the origins of love. Right. The character in the song seems to be not expecting or maybe not wanting love, mm-hmm. but there it comes anyway from the places that you can't access mm. by trying to. So it's cool, but you know, it's boring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. They can't all be win. And like, it's, it's frustrating, like in a way, because I don't like, and by the sounds of it, I don't, I don't think you would also consider it like incompetent. Like it's still like, it's nice. Yeah. It's just not, it's just, you know, he's hit some heights before. Mm-hmm. He's already set a, set a pretty uh, solid standard. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess he was right. He is last year's uh, winner. He sucks now. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll move on now. Um, we'll stop bashing that song. And we'll bash this one. Yeah. <laughs> we'll bash everybody's favorite song. Um, what do you mean? Is it People the- love this song. Oh, really? I don't know why. Okay. I can't figure it out. Okay. Um, now, a part of me knows this is actually better than the last song. <laughs> but the other part of me knows that so many people talk this song up so much that it makes me like it even less. I see. It's clouding your uh, view a little. To me, though, this is famous Blue Raincoat. I don't think I said that. No. Sorry, everybody. It's not very good. <laughs> um, to me, this embodies all the potentially negative qualities of Leonard Cohen's music that our friends at Rolling Stone love to point out. It's got a really monotone delivery. Mm. It's bleak and sad without any kind of catharsis yeah it's quiet and boring yeah um i do i will say i do like this one more i definitely don't hold it as a favorite i do i do find that curious it's not it's a it's a wide favorite i think so that's that is curious to me um i mean part of it is is an absolutely superficial quality that i like about it which is that i just like a song that's a letter Mm. Um, which is funny because as I was writing that note, the only other example I could think of was Mother Mother by Tracy Bonham. Do you know that song? No. It's a 90s song um, about, I mean, it's a completely <laughs> different vibe, but it's a it's like a, a woman who's basically moved away from home for the first time. And she's like trying to convey that to her parents that like she's doing well when she's struggling deeply. It's a great song. actually. Nice. Yeah, it's a good yeah. idea. Also, uh, Stan. A stand, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's something that appeals to me about the format. Um, and that's really the extent of like, oh, and there's a lyric I like in this one. There's one lyric in particular. Um, and, uh, and what can I tell you, my brother, my killer? What can I possibly say? I guess that I miss you. I guess I forgive you. I'm glad you stood in my way. Yeah. 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 I think it has a evocative title. Mm-hmm. And I think it has a really good beginning. And I think people hear that 
and then they zone out for the rest of the song and they're like, yeah, I liked the way it started. Yeah. It's great. Cause yeah, famous blue raincoat that conjures up a whole image of like this like romantic New York life to me. Yeah. Um, although an interesting note on that title, apparently Leonard himself had a blue raincoat that he really liked, but I haven't found any evidence that anyone else particularly noticed it or referred to it as a famous raincoat. Oh. And it kind of seems like he was just like sitting around his apartment one day looking at stuff. Oh. And he was like, <laughs> I love that raincoat. Wow. I should write a song about it. But it's kind of like giving yourself a nickname. Like it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. You, can, you can't call your own raincoat famous. Yeah, it's a bold move. But then uh, these opening lyrics, it's four in the morning, the end of December. I'm writing you now just to see if you're better. New York is cold, but I like where I'm living. There's music on Clinton Street all through the evening. That's good. Yeah. That paints a picture. I'm there. I'm cold. I remember because I've sort of talked about this in in previous episodes, but when I do my initial listens without lyrics in front of me, I very much will go in and out of actually like processing the lyrics. And it's usually just the sound that sort of... um, that makes it through. And so I remember listening to the song one time and I had just tuned in for there's music on Clinton street all through the evening. And I was like, Oh my God, is he talking about Clinton street in Toronto? Uh, if only. And then, and then was he like, was at the Monarch. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, and then, Oh no, New York is cold. Never mind. But yeah, I don't, yeah, it, it, it was these two songs. I remember like, this was always, when I would do full listens, this would always be the part that like bummed me out. And I don't mean like in terms of the way, like dress rehearsal rag bums <laughs> me out. I just meant like, Oh man, can it's, we just, it's a drag. Can we move along? It's, it's a drag. Yeah. For yeah, sure. it is. Um, the backing vocals too, instead of providing like a nice counterpoint, they just kind of echo the droning delivery mm. that Leonard's doing. I can't even really picture them as we sit here they talking like about it sing real slow and yeah uh, quiet yeah <laughs> all right do you like i'm curious do what do people usually like point to as a point of this being like a favorite do you do you happen to know that i don't really mm. um the poetry i would imagine yeah but he's got so i don't know there he's, is he's, a uh YouTube video by a guy, uh, I think it's Polyphonic, uh-huh. who does like music analysis videos. Yeah. Uh, has one, I think it's called How Leonard Cohen Writes a Love Song. Mm-hmm. And he mentions a few songs, but only two or three. And this is one of them. And the only thing I can remember that he said was uh, a little trick where the each line is uh, sort of like in three beats. With the middle one emphasized, it's like, it's four in the morning, the end of December. Yeah. And uh, he was saying how this related to uh, the love triangle aspect of the story. Oh, okay. Um, But like, (laughs) I'm not going to get that while the song's going. And you're like, maybe that's kind of cool if it was meant to be. I don't know, but... It's, it's a neat. It's not going to make the song. Uh, yeah, it's a neat thing to consider. But yeah, if if it doesn't, if that doesn't necessarily come through when you're listening to it without knowing that detail, then yeah. On the topic of uh, this being about a love triangle, also this just seems like such a step down 
in terms of emotional communication from Master Song, from Songs just, of Leonard Cohen. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Like, this time I don't even want to make a joke about Leonard being a beta cop <laughs> because I feel like the song isn't even strong enough to withstand it and yeah. I don't want to be mean anymore. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a real breaking point for us. We've really, we've really gone in yeah. on a Leonard Cohen song <laughs> in a negative way. We still love you, Leonard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Oh, there's so many high points to come from here. This is just, uh, I just want to uh, set the record straight. Yeah. Is that people who think this is the best album, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, but let's move on. Yes. Uh, sing another song, boys. Yeah. Now, this was recorded at the Isle of Wight Festival mm. or possibly the festival in France where he rode it on a horse, but I'm pretty sure the Isle of Wight. Okay. I guess it just wasn't working in the studio. And okay. they were like, well, we've got this perfectly good one. Okay. Already. Just use that. Yeah. And it works. Um, I, I kind of like this one. It's fun. I like it when people say boys in this way. <laughs> yes. Uh, like it's an old country song. Uh -huh. um, I like his delivery on the crescendo parts when he gets loud. Yeah. Oh, the big piano chords sound cool. That's something we don't usually get with Leonard Cohen. Yeah. And that, <laughs> that's about as I far mean, as I go. Honestly, me too. You know what's funny is I thought I, I thought maybe this one would be um, a little more up your alley. It seemed to have like the ingredients yeah. that would appeal more to you. It has been more in the past, but I don't yeah. think I really listened to it closely. Yeah. And it doesn't have much in there that makes me want to listen to it particularly closely. It's not like, and I'm being a little too hard on this one. I most, I like listening to this one. Mm-hmm. If you ask, is this better than silence? In, <laughs> oh, in wow. this case, it might be a yes. <laughs> you hear that, everybody? It's better than silence. Um, uh, yeah, I mean the the only uh, the only other notes I have, I love the um, I love the sort of voice crack yodel that he does on. Um, but let's leave those lovers wondering. Mm -hmm. I can't replicate it because I don't remember it well enough to be able to do it right here, but. Uh, it's a very nice, it's yeah. a very nice touch. Um, one interesting thing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> interesting. Um, <laughs> the first two albums we pointed out ended uh, with wordless vocals. The first one with some very extreme yelling. And the second one was just some pleasant humming and whistling. This one, this is the second last song, not the last song. Uh -huh. So it sort of bucks the trend a little bit. But yes. we do get some of that uh, incoherent squall yeah <laughs> which is nice it's nice to have that little uh through line there and it's also nice someone who uh prioritizes words so much is so willing to recognize that words can't always do it and sometimes you just gotta yell wordlessly yeah i agree um so that's nice and i yeah i, I that was another note i had i just love the the build of it at the end that that sort of very like steady crescendo, I think mm -hmm. works very nicely as well. Um, yeah. but yeah, this, this, this one wouldn't be a go-to song for me. I think it's good, but it's not, um, it's not what I crave when I go for Leonard yeah. Cohen. I do love, um, they'll never, they'll never ever reach the moon. At least not the one that we're after. It's floating broken on the open sea. That almost makes this a good song for me. Cause that, <laughs> it's like, that's, Leonard Cohen. That's like, really beautiful. He yeah. doesn't care about the fact that mankind has already reached the moon. Mm -hmm. I mean, he probably wrote this song before that happened, but he's still singing it. Yeah. He's still putting it on the album. Yeah. He doesn't care about that. He cares about 
the little bits of reflected moon on black water. Yeah. And he knows that that's something that will never reach by making advances in science and technology. Yeah. Because that's not how you reach that. And uh, I love that. Yeah. Very beautiful. Great. Great. <laughs> we are blasting through side B. Yeah. I guess, yeah. <laughs> I guess we like being nicer more than being mean. So that's good. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can be nice now because Joan of Arc is oh. next. And this is a good song. Oh, it's it's great. It's a good one. Oh, my God. It's so good. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. That, <laughs> what yeah. you got? <laughs> and this is, uh, what do I think? Um, well... Uh, I'm just going sort of in chronological order of of the song. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Immediately, the choice of putting the two vocal layers is fascinating. Mm-hmm. That you have, um, he sort of speaks the lyrics. I think the first four lines. Yeah. He speaks them that, and that's right at the front where I where you know I'm situated now. And then you have the the vocals that are being sung, and they're much further in the background. Um, and, uh, I wonder what that was about and I don't really know why it's so interesting, but yeah, I mean, I think that it could really easily seem annoying or at least totally arbitrary, but I agree. It does really work. Um, what it does for me is that it allows these first and last verses to be spoken, which sounds great. It's got a heaviness and a lot of gravity to it, but keeping the singing in the background faintly means that the whole thing still feels really unified when the singing comes to the forefront. Yeah. After that first verse. Yeah. So yeah, it really works. And it it just makes some changes in the song, which is maybe what we've been desperate for this whole time. Yeah. It's just, we've been having all these songs that just do the same thing slowly and quietly. Yeah. For five, six minutes. And here we get, one that is willing to shake things up a little bit and it makes a big difference. And just, just lyrically, the song is wild. Yeah. Well, that's another thing that it has over the last few songs. Uh Uh-huh. It's like, this is another long one. Yeah. But the chorus is wordless. Yeah. And he's singing so slow, but this time it's good. Yeah. um, That there actually aren't that many words. Yeah. Uh, It's really just four verses that are very clear and yeah easy to parse and they each one progresses logically yeah from the next and it tells an interesting little story yeah a love story a love story between Joan of Arc and the fire and her fire yeah unreal yeah. like how do you think of that oh my god yeah the, this song's really stunning this was this was i think the most rewarding one when I sat down and had the lyrics in front of me and I was just like my, there was a point and we'll get to it where my jaw dropped. Ooh. Yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah. No, this was my most, uh, it was the biggest rise in my estimation from previous listens before doing this podcast right. to now. Yeah. 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 A lyric I really love is, and deep into his fiery heart, he took the dust of Joan of Arc and high above the wedding guests, he hung the ashes of her wedding dress. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) Oh, there's that sound that I was talking about (laughs) in a previous episode. Just, oh man. Yeah. It's everything. It's like weirdly sexy. Yeah. But like scary and intense. And, And sad. Yeah. Oh my God. 
Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, I keep thinking of Joanna Newsom listening to this song. Oh, yeah. Also, the software that I type these notes into auto corrects that to Joanna Newsroom, <laughs> which I think is pretty funny. That is funny. Um, anyway, I'm not quite sure why. I mean, this does have like some really nice subtle or orchestration, mm-hmm. those horns that come in. Yeah. It's a bit like um, Have One On Me era, Joanna Newsom in that sound. Right. Um, but I think it also might have to do with the like super intense female perspective that this yeah. song has, which is unusual for a Leonard Cohen song. Right. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's, there, there's one other, I mean, the, uh, I think this is the closing lyric. I didn't actually put that, but I think how this song ties together with like with a personal note is unreal. The the lyric, I saw her wince, I saw her cry, I saw the glory in her eye. Myself, I long for love and light, but must it come so cruel and oh so bright? And then just in my notes, I put in capital letters Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, what a way to tie that thematically back to your own view of love or mm. hit rather Leonard's own view of love. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I was uh, going through the lyrics and um, thinking about them mm-hmm. and sort of on this note of the female perspective. So the fourth verse starts by repeating two lines from the previous verse. It was deep into his fiery heart. He took the dust of Joan of Arc, mm-hmm. but then it turns and, seems there's a turn in the whole song and then she clearly understood if he was fire oh then she must be wood so it's not a happy ending to the love story but like how could it be right (laughs) of course yeah that's fine but i do wonder if there's something just about male and female relationships in here oh um like obviously this is still something that exists today but especially in the 60s and 70s yeah such an assumption that a woman would be just like a muse or a housekeeper for people like Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Uh, in other words, wood for their fire. I don't think Leonard was the worst for that by any means. I think I think he gave the woman in his life basically limitless freedom to do what they wanted to do. Uh-huh. Um, but I think he still expected them to care for him while they were there with him. Yeah. And... To be the wood for the fire of his work. So it's kind of nice to see that maybe he's at least aware of that for whatever that's worth. Sure. Except so then I was thinking all this, but then the lines that you pointed out Mm -hmm. then just really do just like bring it back to himself. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) maybe he's just just singing about himself anyway. Mm, Um, Yeah, maybe. And it just kind of makes the song more about the kind of love that is so passionate and all consuming that it feels like it's killing you, which isn't unrelated to this idea, obviously, of wood burning for love. But yeah, it just makes the song more about Leonard's perspective than Joan of Arc's. And honestly, I think that's kind of where my problem with this album comes from is that usually Leonard Cohen is the most generous of artists. Mm-hmm. And in this case, and it's, you know, he's suffering, obviously. Yeah. I don't want to be too hard on it. But this is so self-focused, this whole album. Mm. And while being so self-focused, it just goes on and on 
It doesn't yeah. have the incredible poetic concision mm-hmm. that he does in other cases, and it's just going to get better at. Like I am here for later Leonard, who just has like a two and a half minute song that has like three verses of four lines each, but every word is perfect. Oh wow! Okay. And maybe you have to go through this stage to get there. But it's just, uh, it's just not for me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I think that was definitely very well put. Um, In terms of, uh, well, I'll get to my feelings on the album in a second. I had one last point to make about this song. It's not really about the song. It's actually, well, funnily enough, it actually is about the album as a whole. I just find the contrast of the book ending of Avalanche and Joan of Arc to be very interesting. Mm. I don't really know what to make of it, but I just find those very interesting choices, especially Avalanche starting the album and then this one ending. But yeah, that's really all I have to say. I don't have a a, a meaning that I can attach to it. Yeah, no, I mean, but it is more of like a sound thing. Like Definitely. Avalanche is sort of stressful. Yeah. And... uh scary yeah and yeah Joan of Arc is still dark but there's a lot of beauty in it mm-hmm. yeah but yeah I um I would I would have to agree with your feelings uh feelings on the album pretty here for the the first half uh although e- e- even then like it's not it's not thus far my my favorite of his stuff other than Avalanche which I had absolutely adore and i can't see that changing anytime soon but um yeah i mean something like that i mean it's bound to happen it's bound to happen when you have um a career like this you're gonna have some i mean i wouldn't even say misses just times where it's not it's not as strong where where what you want to come through isn't coming through and in the way at least it's being received to by audiences although clearly there is also a love that a lot of people have for this whole album would you say that yeah i mean it's uh, you'd have to talk to its fans uh i'm sure there are people who think there are some low points on this album but yeah. think that the high points make up for it but yeah people love it and i actually have something on that note okay um bit of a departure for our usual podcast style but uh i think it relates um a while ago i was reading the Savage Detectives by Roberto Bolaño, the Chilean-Mexican author. Uh-huh. And there's just a really interesting part in here about uh, the different types of literature. And I think uh, parts of it will apply to this album. Oh, great. Um, it might sound a little a little wild. <laughs> Everyone in this book takes poetry very seriously. Okay, good to so, know. Yeah. Yeah. So this is just uh, an older guy of the previous generation. This is in the 70s, but so this is a guy from the previous generation. Mm -hmm. And he's going to talk about literature for a little while. Okay. There are books for when you're bored. Plenty of them. There are books for when you're calm. The best kind, in my opinion. There are also books for when you're sad. And there are books for when you're happy. There are books for when you're thirsty for knowledge. And there are books for when you're desperate. The latter are the kind of books that Ulysses Lima and Bolana wanted to write. A serious mistake, as we'll soon see. Let's take, for example, an average reader, a cool-headed, mature, educated man, leading a more or less healthy life. 
a man who buys books and literary magazines. So there you have him. This man can read things that are written for when you're calm, but he can also read any other kind of book with a critical eye, dispassionately, without absurd or regrettable complicity. That's how I see it. I hope I'm not offending anyone. Now let's take the desperate reader, who is presumably the audience for the literature of desperation. What do we see? First, the reader is an adolescent or an immature adult, insecure, all nerves. He's the kind of fucking idiot, pardon my language, who committed suicide after reading Werther. Second, he's a limited reader. Why limited? That's easy, because he can only read the literature of desperation, or books for the desperate, which amounts to the same thing, the kind of person or freak who's unable to read all the way through in search of lost time, for example, or the magic mountain, a paradigm of calm, serene, complete literature, in my humble opinion. Or for that matter, Les Miserables or War and Peace. Am I making myself clear? Good. So I talked to them, told them, warned them, alerted them to the dangers they were facing. It was like talking to a wall. Furthermore, desperate readers are like the California gold mines. Sooner or later, they're exhausted. Why? It's obvious. One can't live one's whole life in desperation. In the end, the body rebels. The pain becomes unbearable. Lucidity gushes out in great cold spurts. The desperate reader, and especially the desperate poetry reader, who is insufferable, believe me, ends up by turning away from books. Inevitably, he ends up becoming just plain desperate. Or he's cured. And then, as part of the regenerative process, he returns slowly, as if wrapped in swaddling cloths, as if under a rain of dissolved sedatives. He returns, as I was saying, to a literature written for cool, serene readers with their heads set firmly on their shoulders. This is what's called, by me, if nobody else, the passage from adolescence to adulthood. And by that, I don't mean that once someone has become a cool-headed reader, he no longer reads books written for desperate readers. Of course he reads them, especially if they're good or decent or recommended by a friend. But ultimately, they bore him. Ultimately, that literature of resentment, full of sharp instruments and lynched messiahs, doesn't pierce his heart the way a calm page, a carefully thought-out page, a technically perfect page does. I told them so. I warned them. Wow. Yeah, I read that when and i just saw so much of myself in that description oh yeah as uh you know when you're 20 and you just want to read the most extreme books and see the most extreme movies and listen to the music that like sounds like someone is just like slicing themselves open yes. and letting it all fall out onto the book or the film or the record whatever yeah and that can be great it's obviously arresting, captivating. But yeah, I just find as I get older, that's not what I'm looking for mm. anymore so much. Yeah. So, sorry, Leonard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the good news for us, at least, is uh, that these first three albums sort of make up a kind of a trilogy. Mm. And now we're going to step away into some... Totally different territory, I think. Okay. Now I think we're really beginning our journey after this. Okay. So I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Next week, though, we're taking a little bit of a different type of ride because we're going to check out 1973's Live Songs. Yes. It's a collection of live songs. Yeah. It's well named, just like Songs of Love and Hate mm -hmm. and Songs of Leonard Cohen and Songs from a Room. Yeah. Yeah, it's the songs trilogy. Right. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. Hmm. It's over now. And then they are live songs. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a little, just to cap it up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so now it's time for our little game, top half, bottom half, where we decide whether this album falls in the top half of Leonard Cohen's albums or the bottom half quality wise. And when we get to the end of this journey, we're each going to make a ranking of Leonard Cohen albums, honoring what we've chosen as top half and bottom half. For Kinley, I think this will be pretty funny because she's basically just shooting in the dark. I'm yeah. trying not to think about it very much either. I'm just okay. going with my gut here. So, Well, okay. I mean, I know we're, all, we're many episodes in, but I do need some clarifying questions about this one. Or maybe it's just the one question. So if I, let's say hypothetically, I were to use up like once I get to seven albums that I would put in a given half, then that oh, means yeah, that's done. All. Yeah. I'm keeping track. Oh, okay. And we have four, we have 14 total. Yeah. We, we are discounting, um, thanks from the dance because it's a posthumous album. Mm-hmm. Leonard Cohen wasn't there for its completion and the odd number of albums just makes this difficult. Yeah. So we'll still talk about it. It's just not part of this little game. Oh man. Well, I just, mm. It's unfair to ask you this, so I'm I'm just saying this out loud <laughs> rather than actually wanting an answer from you. But like, I do wonder if there are albums coming that are just like not good. <sighs> I'm gonna say there's not seven of them. That's for sure. <laughs> oh God, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the the absolute top end of the bottom half i can't believe it (laughs) but i i can't i already have two in the top half right now i want to be careful and avalanche is not enough for me to put to to securely put this in the top uh, even though part of me was thinking putting this in the bottom section of the top half i'm i'm sticking to my guns that's what I'm saying. Great. Yep. And what about That's you? A, I think uh, a professional gambler would be uh, proud of that choice. <gasps> <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of albums still to come. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit tough because mm-hmm. like this is obviously an important album. It's got some pretty major statements. Yeah. Honestly, for me, Diamonds in the Mine though is the is the one that's carrying it. Yeah. But yeah, like Avalanche for you, it's not quite enough and there's just too many albums that i love that i know i love that are coming okay i need to leave room for them i'm pretty certain songs of love and hate you have to be in the bottom half damn well there it is desperate art we're not here for you anymore (laughs) right we're mature we're old we're uh we're slowing down that's life we're slowing down yeah (laughs) Yeah. All right, then. Okay. That's that. Yep. We'll see you next time for live songs. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Take care, everybody. Good night, friends. Thank you very much.